Welcome to Grow With Soul, a simple marketing podcast by me, Kate Ferris, a creative business and marketing coach living in the mountains in North Wales. Grow With Soul is for creatives who either have their own business or who dream of having their own business and who want to grow slowly, sustainably and soulfully in their work and in their life. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Grow a Soul. I'm so excited to bring you my conversation with this week's guest as she is someone whose work and let's be honest Instagram stories are some of my favourites to follow online. Susanna Conway is an author, photographer and teacher who helps people know, trust and express themselves better by sharing the tools that helped her heal her own heart and live a self-directed life. This year, 2019, marks 10 years of Susanna teaching online via e-courses and books, and today we have a twisty-turny conversation through the lessons she's learned in that decade and how she runs her meaningful business. Ready? Let's go. Hello, Susanna. Hello, Kate. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast. Well, no, thank you for coming because I'm kind of starstruck today, actually, (laughs) because there's not many people who, well, there's like literally no one that I look at and I think, oh, you know what? I'd actually really like their business apart from you. well that wow thank you for saying that that's amazing so yes it's I'm basically just getting you on so I can work out how to be you well and have a business that seems to be from the outside at least very purpose-driven and that really gives you the life that you want to live but before we get into all of that stuff now I'm rushing ahead of myself let's actually introduce you to people who might not know who you are and kind of give us your business journey so far and what you do and how you came around to the place that you're at now gosh that's going to be the whole podcast (laughs) well the thing that I tell cab drivers because they're always the ones that ask me so what do you do what do you do love and so I say well I'm a writer And then I follow it up by saying I'm a photographer. And then I say I've written a few books. And they always ask me which ones. Mm -hmm. And I tell them I also teach personal development courses online. So that's kind of my my little way of introducing myself to cab drivers and anyone on Tinder. That's like my, (laughs) my little bio in my pocket. I've been doing this officially for 10 years. 10 years this month in January 2019. And before that, I was a photographer and also a journalist. So my background has helped me in what I do now, but obviously I didn't know it at the time. And when I started doing all of this, it was still quite new. I started blogging in 2006. I was a year into my bereavement. I'd lost my partner the year before. And I just started blogging as a way to just be in the world really like there was no ulterior motive at all I was sharing photos and poems and connecting with people online blogging was very different to how it is now I mean there was no real social media we had Flickr the photo sharing site Mm -hmm. and like you know Facebook was probably a few years old but that was kind of it so the way I connected with people was through comments on people's blogs and then we'd maybe email a bit and get to know each other and it was it was much smaller world but very cozy and very lovely. And I found people who could relate to what I was going through. Uh, I mean, I was on a a healing journey, basically. And I never really shared about the relationship because that wasn't relevant. But I talked about where I was at the time and and what I was discovering and healing and, and figuring out. So 
unbeknownst to me, I was growing a bit of an audience. And three years into that, I wasn't working a lot at that time. I was signed off from work, basically. And I took that time to figure out, well, what do I want to do? Because I'd left London to heal. And I didn't know if I wanted to go back. I didn't, I definitely didn't want to go back to the work I was doing. So it was, I mean, it was a bit of a, a bit of a crisis, age 32, 33, trying to figure it out. But it was the blogging that brought me back to life. I mean, I've always been a writer. I started a journal when I was 11. So writing comes very naturally to me. But it was writing in a personal way that brought me alive and sharing with other people brought me alive. So those two things set me up really for what came after. So it was in 2008, the end of 2008, I was teaching an evening class about photography in Bristol. And the place I was teaching in already had a, you know, some more traditional standard photography class. So they said, well, can you do something, you know, a bit different? Mm. And I looked at my journals and I looked at my blog and, and I'm like, well, actually, I've been taking pictures as a way to to heal my stuff. So why don't we do that? So I, I don't even know how I did it, but I cobbled <laughs> together this eight-week or was it 10-week evening class that I did in person. I think I had like 10 women in the class. It was really little, but it was my first sort of dipping my toe in the teaching world. And we had some really profound results each week. And and the women were opening up and it was just really quite magical and a little bit terrifying because doing it in person and the introvert was coming out of her shell, but it was it was just kind of magical. So of course I blogged about it. I said, oh my God, this is fantastic. And well, maybe I wasn't quite as over the top, but I was very, <laughs> I was very excited and, and pleased with what was happening. And people, you know, blog readers were saying, well, how can we do this as well? I'm in America. I, I can't come to England. So a friend suggested, well, why don't you try and do it online? And from there was born my first e-course that I launched in January 2009. And of course, back then, there were a few people doing stuff like that, but it wasn't, it's not like it is now. And I had to figure out, well, how are we going to replicate the experience of being in a classroom together? Because I want us to share our photos. I want us to to talk to each other, as well as me teaching and leading the group. So we had a private Flickr group where we could share photos. Um, there was no Facebook groups back then, so mm-hmm. I couldn't use that. I figured that I would put all the lessons onto a blog that I had password protected and gave everyone the password who who was taking the course. And that was how I did it. Mm. And so that first run had ended up having 100 people signed up because I I didn't do much promotion because I didn't really know about promotion. I still don't really. (laughs) But a friend, sort of, well, online acquaintance had shared about it on her blog and it just word got out. And people were quite interested and and signed up. And the first run went really well. And it was a bit, it was a bit kitchen table, you know, it wasn't perfect. But it became something that was much bigger than than I'd originally imagined, because everyone in the class, they were talking to each other, they were commenting on each other's photos. They I know their unravelers, as we as we called each other, their unravelers that still meet to this day mm. that met in one of those early classes. So, I mean, that just blows my mind. So mm-hmm. it was, a, it kind of, it just magically happened. And obviously I was the person bringing everyone together and, and focusing it with, with the content, but I couldn't have predicted how much better it was than I could have imagined. So yeah, a bit of luck, a bit of a fluke, but also three years of building an audience unintentionally yeah. and people trusting me. So that's how I got started. 
And I ran that course in the end like 18 times over the last few years. And it, it, it's probably one of my most successful to date because probably because it was one of the first. And of course now there are hundreds and probably thousands. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, thousands of courses you can take. Whereas back then there wasn't and it grew purely through word of mouth. So yeah, that was the beginning of where I am now. Yeah. Yeah, I love that story. I love those kind of kitchen table stories, especially of like, whereas now, as you say, there's Facebook groups, there's Teachable, there's all that stuff, but figuring, God, out, yeah. figuring out the technical aspects, which probably was a what why there weren't a lot of courses out there at the time. So how did you go from, from that first course and it being powerful and meaningful to people and it working for you? Was it then a very conscious decision to to scale that or grow that in terms of adding new courses and doing new things how did that then turn into a business well I can tell you right now that there has never been any plan to turn (laughs) any of it into a business I've never had a business plan I've never had any kind of a loose plan so that needs to be said first of all I don't have any kind of qualifications in business nothing Mm -hmm. so all of this has come about through writing about it in my journal, figuring it out, piecing it together and trusting my intuition. That's how it's come about. And I never planned to be here now. To be honest, after the first time I ran the course, I really did think it was a fluke. And I'm like, well, that's that was lucky, but it's probably not going to happen again. And then I'd run it again and again. And, you know, it would sell out in 10 minutes. That's how crazy it was mm. back then. I mean, the first year was exciting and also really nerve-wracking because I did just expect it all to fall apart and, and no one would sign up and and that would be the end of that little experiment. So I remember I signed up for one business course that was sold to me very persuasively mm. and never did any of it because, of course, I rock up on the first day, read the first email and just think, oh, well, that's that's got absolutely nothing to do with me. It was a very masculine way of selling all of it was just completely wrong. But because I doubted myself in those first six months and thought, well, well, who am I to do this? I need, mm-hmm. to, I need to learn how to do this, in quotes, properly. <laughs> so, of course, I spent $1,000 on something that I ultimately didn't do. But it was $1,000 of me learning, oh, okay, I do know what I'm doing. I just have to make it up as I go along. So that's what I've always done. So I did the, so the first course was Unraveling. I then made a second course, which actually was a bit of a flop. And was, again, was my second greatest lesson after (laughs) buying the business course, because I just assumed that the way I'd run the first course, I could replicate and do in the second course, but it was a different kind of thing I was teaching and it didn't work as well. And so now it exists as an ebook that I give away to subscribers. But back then I had to have that first kind of, and, and people still enjoyed it, but it had to kind of flop a bit for me to go, okay, right, well, let's not do it that way again. And that's how you learn. You have to make mm. mistakes. So I did a sequel to Unraveling, which sold very well. I then, I think my next course was my photography course because, of course, the first course had photography as an element of the course. So I thought, well, I can teach about photography because I studied that for three years and I am a photographer. So I created my photography course. From there, I then created a course about blogging because at that time, I was all about the blogging and I I knew what I was talking about. Basically, the way I figure out the next one to do is to look at what I've done, look at what people are asking for, but also look at what I really want to talk and write about. Because yes, you want to know what your audience wants, but unless you're really keen to do it, and oh my God, I've got so much to say about that, 
it's never going to work out. There has to be that lovely middle ground of what they want, but also what you're excited to talk about. So each course kind of led on from the other. And then I went into, I think it was my one about the sacred alone, which is all about being on your own and, and meditation, because that was a really important bit of my healing journey. So I wanted to talk about that. I've, I've done courses about tarot cards and oracle cards because I use them as a way to stay in touch with myself. It's not about prediction or any of that stuff. It's using tools to access what's inside you. So I'm very interested in that. So I did a course about the cards. I've done one about directly about intuition. I've done one about mindfulness. So all of these things are like pieces of my creative and healing journey that I am then translating and making digestible for someone else. Mm-hmm. So I mean, a lot of it you can obviously you can read online, you can read books, there are other people teaching these things but I the way I do it is to put it through the filter of me and if you get on with the way that I write and I speak and I do things then you're going to enjoy the way I teach because about 90% of my audience because I've surveyed them over the years are introverts so I'm very big into written lessons and a bit of audio and the occasional video but I know that my people really like learning through the written word and that's how I really enjoy teaching and that's how I teach best so you know there are plenty of courses out there that are all video content I can't get on with them at all I haven't I don't want to sit down that's my head in I'm like no I don't want to hear you talking I want to I want to read something send me a pdf send me an email you know let me read this because then I can I can take it in so that's how I teach so if you resonate with that then you're gonna you're gonna dig my stuff so yeah and I think Part of creating courses is it's important to know how you teach best rather than looking around and seeing what everyone's doing. Oh, God, I should do that. Mm. I should do a video course because that's the in thing. Well, it's only the in thing if you're good at doing it that way. Otherwise, it's going to be rubbish. So I think it's a a lot of this stuff is about self-awareness and knowing how you operate because then you're going to be doing it in, in the best way you possibly can. So that's quite important yeah I so agree and and the way that you described how you developed it over the years it feels very free because what I come up against when I speak to people is a lot of kind of clenched shoulders and that almost paralysis of but I need to do it right and what I try to talk to people about is that there's there is no right there's right for some people which isn't right for you and you have to you have to trust yourself. And that's sometimes the hardest thing for people is letting go of the apron strings of the advice and the experts, in inverted commas, and actually trusting themselves and that what their gut is telling them is what's the best way for them to go forwards. Yeah, so it's really nice to hear you kind of say that you built it all without that plan because I'm a bit like you. I just think you don't need a business plan (laughs) unless you're going for investment or something every plan I've ever made has been out of date in like a week because I've changed my mind or I've done something else or something else comes up. So, Well, that's it. Yeah, We're working in an arena that's so new and so different. You can't really, I don't think you really can create a business plan because the business plan applies to like the old school business, but this is the new school Mm -hmm. business. So, you know, online things change all the time. So you have to kind of stay quite limber and go with the flow. Otherwise, you're just going to fall behind. But this idea of needing it to be done properly, need it to be done correctly, it's got to be right. You've got to think, yeah, but right according to who? Mm -hmm. Because there are so many different ways to do it. The, the, The thing that's right is what's right for you and how you do things. So let's wheel that back a bit. When I started, 
there were a heck of a lot less people online doing this. So my fear just came from people even even understanding what an e-course was and, and trusting that I wasn't trying to scam them out of some money. You know, now e-courses are all the rage and everyone's trying to do one and, and we've, we've, we've got that language for it. But back then it was, it was kind of new and everyone's like, oh, what's an e-course? You, you're just trying to get 50 quid off me for nothing. And actually over the years I have signed up for one course and it never got delivered because the woman just disappeared off the internet. <laughs> that was very interesting. So it does happen. And there are people out there doing stuff online and doing it very poorly, which reflects badly on the rest of us. But the only thing you can do is just keep going forward and putting your best stuff out there. But yes, paralysis from thinking you have to do it correctly, that's just fear. Mm. That's perfectly normal. And actually, I think you eventually let go of that a bit. I mean, when I'm creating something new, I feel the fear mainly when I'm first putting it together because I'm like, well, I'm not sure. Is this going to work? And I don't know. It's... When I've finally got to the point where I can offer it to my my people, I feel fairly confident in it because I'm like, well, I've done this now and I've done this quite a few times and I just about know what I'm doing, and I know how I know how to put a course together. I know how to to sell it in the way that feels right to me, you know. But but you've got to do it. But the first few times, you're always going to feel nervous because you're doing something new and because this sort of work is you putting yourself out there because we are the face of our business and it is our words that we're selling or our expertise or our ideas or you know whatever it it comes from us I'm not trying to sell a, a you know a table although if I had made the table that would be my creation so it's kind of the same but yeah we're we're putting ourselves out there we're asking to be judged but obviously the biggest critic is always the one inside our head Mm. so we just have to give her a bit of chocolate and just get on with it (laughs) well and what I want to dig into a little bit actually because you talk about when you feel the fear and and in that process and what I come up against with people is that they feel the fear of it not selling before they've even had the idea properly and try and separate out that process a little bit of like just create the thing and you don't need to worry about this yet this isn't your worry at the moment so how do you kind of approach that practically how do you kind of approach a new course for example I think any of those fears are a bit less these days because mm. like I said I do I do kind of know what I'm doing now so that feels good if anyone out there is worrying about it not selling often the only reason it doesn't sell is because you haven't got a big enough audience yet mm. I get this with people that come and do my my little business course the inside story I've had people that are working on a course and they're putting so much into it. And of course, when they open it and and try and sell it, no one buys it. But it's only because the people aren't there yet. And to get past a lot of the fear of it not selling is to have people already there that want to buy something from you. So, you know, the reason it worked at the beginning for me is because I'd spent three years blogging for no reason other than chatting away online. So, I mean, you you could probably build an audience a lot quicker these days. But if you have people who already are a bit invested in what you're doing, they enjoy getting your newsletters, they like following you online, you know, they like what you're up to, you're letting them into what you're doing and telling them about your process and already saying, oh, I'm, I'm doing this thing, you know, I think it's going to be quite cool, I'm really into it. And they're like, oh, tell us more. And then you have people already interested in buying the thing you're creating. If you're creating it in a vacuum and no one knows you're doing it, and you don't have anyone following you anywhere yet, and you're hoping, well, you know, I'll build it, and then I'll find people to buy it. That's kind of the older older way of doing things, make something Mm. and then find the audience. But actually, 
online, it works the other way around. Find your audience and then create things for them that come from you, that are your, I was going to say expertise, I really hate that word. There are many <laughs> words I hate that I hear too often online, but yeah, create things that they that they want, that you, that you know you can share with them, that they're asking you for. Yeah, it's a really good point because it comes again back to that doing things properly where you can spend six months refining the best ever product but never talking about it to anyone and then it's released and people are like, yeah, I would have bought it if more like this. Whereas you've just wasted six months whereas you could have in six minutes got that feedback right at the beginning and created something that people actually want to buy and just because businesses have never traditionally done that that's because they never had the opportunity and that's what you've got as a one person band is the the opportunity to talk to people one-to-one like what Sainsbury's or whoever wouldn't give to be able to have that immediate interaction and that ability to be dynamic with their products and that's a real strength that you should play to rather than think I'm not doing it right well that's where social media is so bloody useful because you actually talk to your you talk to your customers and your clients and the people that you're you're creating things for you can talk to them like you can be in their inbox and go hello what do you think of this Mm. you can survey your audience I mean that's what I do every time I do a yearly survey I'm like oh, hey, guys, here's a list of things I'm thinking about doing. What do you reckon? What, which ones do you like best? So, And I can put a list of six course titles that I've sort of been chewing on and see which one gets gets the most votes. You know, that's how I've created the last two courses were things that I wanted to, to write about. And so I checked in with my survey. Brilliant. You know, so I'm creating things that people actually were like, oh, yeah, we want to do that. One trick, and I'm sure a lot of course creators do this. So the way I do it, I come up with the idea it then probably takes me months, six months to kind of compost it down into notebooks and things saved on Evernote and, and just sort of chewing on it and letting it develop a bit. And then I start thinking about, well, if I was going to describe this on a sales page, what would I say? So I'm kind of trying to find the structure. And then I figure out, well, how many weeks is this going to be? And then what am I trying to teach them? And what's the end point? Like, where are we going with this? And, and work out the themes. So I get it all plotted out. And this takes as long as it takes. And then I start mentioning it places and see what people think. But when I actually start offering the course for sale, I'm currently working on the first week or two of the course. And when we actually start, I'll probably only have half the course ready. So I don't try and get the whole thing ready before we start. Because what I prefer to do is the first round of a course is always the most exciting and the most dynamic. Because I'm excited and I'm fresh. And everyone else is fresh and excited about it because they haven't done it before and they haven't heard anything about it from past participants. Mm. So what I do is I get we get the first week going and I'm checking in on Facebook, seeing how everyone's doing because we always have a Facebook group. And, and what it means is as they're asking questions and as they're giving me feedback on what they're learning and, and talking amongst themselves, I can see, all oh, right, I must remember to mention that in week three or, you know, whatever it is. So I'm responding to what they need and how they're learning and as we go I can course correct if we need to and I can add bits I can take away bits and I can change things as we're going unfortunately this means that the first run of a course is really intense for me and I the last one I did it was a I think it was a four-week course and I ended up working six weeks solidly without a day off so that was really intense and I did burn out a little bit at the end but this is how I work. You know, I always did my homework the night before. So can't do that with a four-week course, but you can create something that's 
fresh and immediate. And if I had created that six months before and poured over it and tried to perfect it, it wouldn't have been the same. Because what I need is the feedback from people that are interacting with the material because I want it to be the best that it can be. And you can let go of any thoughts of, well, it's done, then it's perfect. No, no, no. Then the next time I run it, I can still be changing things and and making it better and burnishing it and helping it fulfill its possibilities. So each time I run a course, I'm always, you know, adding, subtracting, giving giving it what it needs because it's a living, breathing thing. So when you take the course the first time, it might feel quite different the fifth time. Yeah, I I like that. And that's funny because I always felt, I did that with my second course, Smoke Signals, as I was writing it kind of a couple of weeks ahead and kind of felt like I had to keep that secret, like it was unprofessional. So it's even like bleeding into me, like this is not how things are done. But it's, yeah, it is striking that balance between it feeling really overwhelming and burnout-y. (laughs) when you're like oh my god I've got to write this thing but yeah it does absolutely help you to see what's actually relevant because my first course I wrote it all before it even went on sale and there was a lot of stuff in there that was actually just confused people more than anything else because I was trying to shove loads of stuff in whereas actually you can get the level of people in the course and think actually that's not necessary. What's more valuable is if I just explain this really simply and then give them some extra worksheets for them to go and do it rather than try and over-egg the point so it feels like there's more words there. Yes, absolutely. Well, I think I've always, I always want to make sure everyone gets their, gets value for their money. You know, mm. if they've honoured me by giving me money to learn from me, which I still find amazing and it still blows my mind that people do that. It is such an honour then I want to make sure they have a really good experience and learn what I'm promising that they will learn and hopefully change their life in some way because I'm teaching them tools or, you know, new ways of doing things that are going to help. That's the whole bloody Mm. point. So, yeah, I've always had a tendency to give them a little bit too much. (laughs) And if if you're getting like a daily email, they're like, oh, fuck, it's too much. But (laughs) But but then but I think yeah but at the end of the course you're going to get a PDF of the whole thing so you can go back through it it's all in there you're getting this gorgeous book of this course and you know this stuff that you're learning is going to be with you forever I hope but what I do now is I reassure everyone that if you feel like you're falling behind don't worry about that just start where you are because some people are like me and they'll sort of read the emails or maybe check them out at the weekend and don't take it too seriously but take what they need but there are other people that want to make sure they follow every single email and, and do every single exercise in the order that it's presented and and get really stressed out if they're not able to do that because you know life gets in the way you don't take time off from work just to do a stupid e-course so yeah I have to I reassure them it's like do what you can this is for your entertainment and for your enjoyment and take what resonates with you and leave the rest. So yeah, there are different ways to lead courses, but also you've got to look after your people and and help them take the material on board or, or work through the exercises or just guide them. It's like a, it's a quite a rounded experience, really, even though it's online and we're not in a classroom, we are not facing you. I'm still there for you. Mm. So that's where Facebook, which I, have to say, I don't, I don't like Facebook, but I appreciate the group's and it's really nice that I could connect with everyone doing the course in that space. You know, that's been really helpful. That was a really helpful development when they brought those out. Because, yeah, I want to be there answering questions and I want to chit-chat with everyone. Yeah, it's basically the one good thing about Facebook. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's the only good thing. Yeah. 
So what I'm really keen to talk to you about and to kind of change tact a little bit is the concept of purpose because this is something that I talk about a lot and I think a lot of people, I think most people who listen to the podcast are really on board with it as a concept but actually how practically to find my purpose and then turn that into a business and refine it and to to keep really close to that is something that I know people find difficult and I always think of you as being a very purpose-driven person and business. So what are your thoughts around kind of your purpose and how did that kind of evolve quite naturally? Is there ever been a time that you've sat down and kind of thought this is the reason I'm here? What are your thoughts around that? Oh golly, I've never really sat down Mm. and try to figure it out because every time I've ever if I've ever tried to do that my my mind just sort of short circuits so it's such a big thing to try and figure out your purpose and I I secretly think our purpose is just to be the best versions of ourselves and not hurt anyone Mm. I think that's the purpose of trying to figure out you know what's the point of my life (laughs) I think trying to find your purpose and turn it into a business that that just makes me break out into sweat (laughs) so I don't know if that's such a great idea I think a better question is, what am I here to share? You know, like, what can I share that's useful? And it doesn't have to be some sort of personal development thing. You know, what are you good at? What are you, are you good at making tables? Brilliant. We'll share that, you know, so what can you share and be helpful, be of service in some way? And it could be in the way you bring up your kids, you know, that's changing the world. It doesn't have to be a monetized thing. Having said all that, when I look at my business, like I said, because there was no original plan, there was no blueprint. So it's all kind of cobbled together. Like it started off with one little house in the village and now there are 10 houses, but there was no plan. So they're all a bit higgledy-piggledy and, and a bit a bit misshapen. And that's how my business feels sometimes. But at the core of it, I would say, is trying to help people get to know themselves better. Because it's all come from those first few years of blogging, really. And when I was figuring out my stuff and healing my hurt, and I mean, obviously I was in therapy for years, so that was part of it. But a lot of my healing came through my creativity. So my purpose in my in my business and my work is to help people get to know themselves and heal their, heal their hurts so they don't pass them on and do it through the power of creativity because that's what worked for me and that's what I know and that's what I can share. So, yeah, so that's that's kind of like my overarching purpose, my mm. big purpose. <laughs> well, I was I was reading uh, a book last night called Choose, Wonder, Over Worry by Amber, Le- Amber Ray, sorry. And there was a line in that where she said, the more you move into the struggle, the more you move into your light. And I think it is that kind of the thing that troubles you the most or that you struggle with the most is is sometimes where your magic lies and the things that are scariest to put out are the things always the things that resonate the most with people so there's something to follow as well and that's obviously your your experience as well well I think human beings learn through story sharing don't we we learn by example we learn by doing we learn by practicing we're very experiential but yeah we we pass our stories on to others because someone's like well you know I made this boat and it helped me cross this river and they're like, brilliant, how did you make the boat? And you pass, pass the story on of, well, I did this and I went there. And, and and that's how we learn. So in my case, I wrote about this once. I don't know if it was like a bio or a blog post, but I was talking about how I report back from the trenches. That's what it's always felt like. And, and in the days when I was blogging 
far well, I don't I don't blog now. I share I share all my stuff in my newsletter and a little bit on Instagram. But before all of that, I was doing writing lots of blog posts. And I would just share about the stuff that I was doing or figuring out or healing or, you know, I, I just mine from my own experiences. And that's what I then put out into the world in the, in the hope that someone will read it and go, God, yeah, I'm glad I'm not the only one that thinks that. So, yeah, so I sort of report back from the trenches because I'm out there giving it a go. And that's how I've always written. And yeah, and it's in our struggles that we, of course, we learn the most. And in our hard times that we come out the other end and go, oh, but I think there's something to be said for not reporting back while you're actually still doing it I think you know like for example when I went through bereavement I only started writing about the healing a year into it you know anything that I would have written in that first year would have been so raw it wouldn't have been of use to anyone and when I wrote my book the first chapter was all about bereavement and that it was like it's the hardest chapter to read really but I could come to it having a little bit of distance mm. from the actual experience that I went through. But I did do a lot of writing in that first year. I have so many journals filled with words because I still had to get it out, but that was just for me. Mm. So that wasn't that wasn't for public consumption and that never would have occurred to me. But of course, when I wrote that first chapter, I could go back through my journals and be right back in the intensity of what I was feeling which never goes away, you don't forget. But I was able to read back through all of that stuff and go, oh, yeah, and 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 take the gems from it and, and the stuff that I'd learned and figured out and then spin it into words that I could share with other people. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the more kind of nitty-gritty of your courses. And because you mentioned when you get an idea – you chew away at it for six months. So what is it like when you get the idea? How do you, do you generate the ideas very organically? I assume from our conversation, you probably do. Or do you think I need a new e-course now? Or do you have the other problem of I've got 10 different things I want to do and I can't do them all. So what's that process like of getting the ideas, refining them and choosing which ones are going to be the ones that you're going to put forward? Mm. The courses that I've done so far have generally led on from the previous course. So when I was writing about, when I was doing the intuition course, it was pretty obvious to me that the next step on from that would be something more about mindfulness. So like when I did the unraveling, it led on to photography because there was photography in the previous course. So there's always like the next step, the next stage, the next, the next piece to learn in the you know e-course participants path if you like so there's a kind of logical progression between how they've evolved but yeah I I definitely always have some ideas on the go like I'm always composting that never stops there's always notebooks being filled and and things I've thought about things I want to study more or or share more about but I do find that having done this for 10 years now I'm kind of hungry to do something a bit different because I generally try and do at least one new course a year this last year, 2018, I managed to do two courses, which was exceptional. The year before that, I'd just done one, which I probably won't even run again because it came off after a time when I'd had some difficult stuff going on in my family and I wasn't working at my optimum capacity, shall we say. And so I created this course, but when I look back on it, I'm, I can tell, I'm like, I wasn't all there. I, You know, the course is still good, but I wasn't in my absolute zone of genius because I was so drained from what had happened some you know personal stuff that had happened so I'm like okay that's good to know a lot of my my work comes from how 
I'm feeling. There's a reason why my business is still relatively small, shall we say, why I'm still a one-person band, because I want it to be that way. I have no dreams of doing like a mega TED talk. I can think of nothing I want to do less Mm -hmm. than that, you know, like I don't want to be on Oprah. I don't want to do any of that stuff because that just sounds really stressful and horrible to me. (laughs) So I don't need my book to be on Oprah. I don't need that. What I want is to create a business that I love love doing and that I enjoy and there's always going to be admin stuff that's annoying and pressure and burnout and all of those things but I want a business that feels like a like a shawl around my shoulders and not a straitjacket Mm -hmm. so it's very intentional even though there's no business plan there's also it's intentional that my business remains the size it is because yeah I could I mean I have a part-time VA I have an accountant and a bookkeeper and a graphic designer but they all sort of do stuff for me as and when I need it. It's no, no one's full-time. And I don't want anyone full-time. I don't want to have to be responsible for someone else's salary. Mm. And as soon as you start bringing people in full-time, you're creating something. And I don't want to work in an office. You know, the whole point of being self-employed, because I was self-employed before all of this started, was to be at home. I like being at home. I like working from home. It really suits me. And if I suddenly have a team that's going to change. And I don't want that. So this is all super intentional. Mm. How do you do that? (laughs) By which I mean, I'm quite like, that's in my head. I'm very, I don't, I really don't want a team. I don't want this. This is, I've got that clear vision of that, but it's very easy to get swayed by, well, maybe I should want a TED talk. (laughs) Maybe I should want to be on TV. And, And in this, especially the online world, which is all about growth, 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 and everybody's talking about it. How do you kind of turn your back on that and really hold on to what matters to you? By knowing myself really well, basically. I mean, don't forget, so 10 years of doing this, obviously I've had moments where I'm like, shit, maybe I should do that as well. (gasps) Oh, look, she's doing that. Maybe I should do that as well. Obviously, I mean, I'm not not blind to it. And I feel insecurities just like anyone else. But at the end of the day, I can't be bothered to do all of that stuff. So the TED Talk thing, for example, I think the minute Brene Brown, who I've met and who is lovely, the minute she did her massive TED Talk, everyone's like, oh my God, that's what you've got to do if you want like a super successful business or book or whatever, because she was one of us in the blogosphere before her her, her star exploded. She was one of us. I remember her emailing me because one of her little books came out before it was before she was Brene Brown with a capital B. Mm. And she emailed and said, oh, you know, do you want to do a giveaway on your blog? So this was back in the olden days. Um, and now she's, I mean, obviously she's amazing and, and she's doing all this amazing stuff. So we have people like Brene out there on these pedestals where we're like, well, clearly that's where we should be aiming for because that's, that's just mega success, isn't it? And isn't that what we should all want? And we should all want seven figures. And it's like, yeah, but why? Why do you want that? Why? why just keep asking why is that because that's what everyone else wants but is that what you really want really I had someone ask me it was a London TED talk that was being organized I can't remember where anyway I got a message about it someone asking me if I'd like to get involved or contribute a talk or however it's apply or I can't remember how she worded it and I was like oh god no really sincerely thank you but no really don't want to do that and it was such a clear full body no I was like, yeah, no, God. Just the thought of 
how many months it would take me to create the talk and practice the talk and then do the audition for the talk and then deliver the talk. And I just thought, good God, no, no way. <laughs> so once, you, once you're quite kind of clear on the stuff you really don't want to do, it's actually easier to know the stuff you do want to do. And just know yourself really well. Like, know what, yeah, what's it, the MBTI? Like, an, I'm an INFJ, an INFP, mm. and, I, and I love knowing that. And I, when I read about these character traits, I'm like, oh, pretty smart, sounds like me. You know, just do a few personality tests and figure out how you operate best. I mean, the game changer a million years ago was just figuring out the word introvert before Susan Cain started talking about it and did her TED Talk and, and her book. We were talking about it online, and, and I'm like, oh, <gasps> introvert yes mm. that's me and I'm not particularly shy I'm quite confident it's not about how I how I am in the world it's just how I am energetically people tire me out I hated working in an office I'm really good one-on-one -on -one. you know I need a lot of downtime after I've been with people just knowing these things about myself have helped so much in knowing how I want to show up in the work I do. And, and you know, I did, a few years ago, I did a, I taught a couple, couple of retreats. And it was good. And I, it was, I'm glad that we did them. And everyone seemed to get lots out of it. And that was lovely. But I got to the end of them. And like, I'm never doing that again. Because it was so exhausting. I can't be on like that for a whole week with, mm. you know, 10 or 20 people. I don't have the energetic reserves for that. So obviously I did it and it was good and it was worthwhile and I gave it my everything. But I came away and just knew, okay, cool. I don't want to do that again. And it was good to know because you do in this in this world that we're existing on, in online, this sort of personal development coachy coachy world that we live in. There's a kind of list of things that you think you should do. So mm. TED Talk, Oprah, retreats, one-on-one -on -one coaching, you know, mentoring, or you know, there's a big long list of things we think we should tick. And some of those things work really well if you're an extrovert. You know, I, I have friends that are extroverts that love teaching live, that love doing retreats, because that's what energizes them and feeds them. And, and so they're really, really good at it. But then there's someone like me, and I'm like, well, actually, I'm really good at writing mm. and sitting on my own and thinking and putting my words together in a way that works. I'm not very good at doing it when speaking, but if I can sit down and write, that's my superpower. So you have to work with what your superpower is mm. and not think that, well, just because they're doing it, clearly I should be doing it. No, actually it's the complete opposite. Find what, your, what, what, what works for you. Know yourself. And actually, and I'm sure so many people have said this, the journey of creating a business is like the ultimate personal development journey. Oh my because, God. <laughs> isn't it though? Because especially if it's just you, you're putting yourself out there. You're putting your face on things. You're having to show up. I mean, I don't do, I do lots of Instagram stories, but I never speak on camera because I just don't like it. So I'm like, cool, I don't mm. like it. I'm not going to bloody do it. And that is the joy of being self-employed. You know, that's the whole point. I don't have someone, a boss in an office telling me what to do. I'm my own boss, so I create the business that works for me. In work terms, that is the whole point. Mm. And that's so, so interesting to hear you say that because, yes, that was always the whole point for me, but I've actually at the moment in a bit of a period where I'm learning that 
as much as I talk about, oh, your work and it's going to be beautiful and blah, 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 in my head, I still have this thing that work has to be something I don't enjoy. And so I always really put off the things that I actually really like doing. <laughs> I put off those things and I don't prioritise myself. And if somebody asks me if I can, you know, run a course earlier or one more time, I'll just do it <laughs> because somebody's yeah. asked me to do it. But I guess that's something that comes with time and learning and, and learning what your priorities are. Yeah, and setting boundaries and, and knowing what works for you. So, of course, it, it, that's why it is the personal development journey. Absolutely. It is just practice, though. God, the more you do it, the more you know what you're doing. I mean, it really is as simple as that. I mean, we're taught at school, well, I certainly was, the work should be hard. You know, exams are hard and, and homework is hard and, you know, some things you're good at and some things you're not good at, but you should be better at the things you're not good at and, and all of that stuff. And then you get a job and you've got to work your way up and we're sort of created in this little factory mould that we've just got to go out there and, and be running on the wheel and making the cogs of society work. I don't know, God. <laughs> so when you finally have this sort of magical unicorn of working from home, <gasps> you mean I don't have to get up with an alarm? Oh, my God. Well, who am I to have all of this magical, mm. magical space to do something well, something I enjoy? What do you mean? That, I don't deserve that. I think you do have to work through feelings of, of not deserving doing what you bloody want. It, it's... Yeah, there was a definitely in the first year was probably my biggest year of figuring this stuff out. I mean, there's been layers and layers of it, but in that first year, I was like, God, so you mean I can do this and people will pay me? Oh my God, who am I to do that? You mean I can create a new website with my own name and, and, and I can do that and put myself out there? God, who am I to do that? And you have to keep going through these layers. I'm wondering if, if it's a particularly female thing to wonder if we deserve these things i'm wondering if there are any podcast interviewers right now saying that they're who are men saying well i didn't think i deserved that i could do this <laughs> i'm thinking perhaps not you know but perhaps we as women are taught that you're not really supposed to put yourself out there are you you're kind of behind the scenes you're the support crew making things happen and actually yes i don't want to do a ted talk but my business is is my name my business is me and i've had to work to get to a point where I'm comfortable with that, you know. I mean, when I started blogging, I didn't have my name on my blog for probably the first two years, or, you know, my full name. I think the first time I put a picture of myself, God, how old was I then? I mean, that was like a really big deal. Now everyone's selfieing it up. Yeah. <laughs> but, but back then, they were, I kind of wish I'd done it more because now I'm older and like, oh, shit, I should have done that. <laughs> but that's the other part of putting yourself out there. If you look at Instagram and see what everyone else is doing in this sort of coachy personal development world, you wouldn't be wrong to think that, oh my God, everyone's living this amazing life because they're having all these lifestyle shoots done. And those are the photos they use to put themselves out there. This is particularly with coaches. You know, you get these beautiful shots done of yourself and, mm. and that's your promotional stuff, which is okay. And we need a few shots that we can use professionally. Absolutely. However... I much prefer a mix of behind the scenes as well as the polish, you know, like I, I'm, I will always be the kitchen table blogger from 2006. You know, I will always want to know what's going on behind the scenes. If all you're showing me online is da, 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 everything's mm. perfect. And I've got all the answers. Just pay me $1,000. Like if, if that's what you're putting out there, I'm going to switch off immediately. And I think pretty much 85% of the reason why my business still works is because Every time I send out a newsletter, I'm just really honest. 
You know, like I'm not I'm not trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes or pretend everything's great if it's not, for example. You know, when I'm sharing stories and sharing my life, like I'm, I'm really doing it. There's no razzmatazz. You know, I try and do things with a little bit of polish. You know, I want to look like I've got, my, got myself together. Mm-hmm. I have a bit of pride in my work and want things to look nice and have nice design. But if I'm having a really crappy day, like I'll say I am because I think that makes me much more relatable. And if I'm sharing stories, I want you to see yourself in them, really. And even if our experience of the world is really different or we live in different countries or we're different ages or, you know, for example, I don't have children, but I'm an auntie and I can I can talk about my experience of of being an auntie or or just empathy with mothers. You know, a lot of my audience are mothers and, and I get it, man, because I spend pretty much half my day on the phone to my sister helping. So, you know, I, I want people to see themselves in me because I'm sharing a lot of the universal human experience, perhaps. Mm. It might not be exactly the same as your experience, but you're like, oh, yeah, she gets it. And that's, that's what I try and share. So that's why I'm not doing a lifestyle shoot every five minutes. Because that, that's just not real. It's not real. I can't. I just can't do it. And maybe it works for some people. And that's how they are comfortable being online. And that's cool. You, everyone has to find their comfort level. But for me personally, as a business owner, it doesn't work. And also as a customer slash consumer, I find I gravitate towards people who aren't afraid to share a bit of the truth and shine a bit of light on you know the darker stuff. Because we all have it. We, we all feel it. So, you know, don't be afraid to, to be real, really. Mm. All anybody wants is the truth. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's the scariest thing to share. And I think that, especially with marketing with a capital M, it's always been perceived to be about lying. <laughs> and actually, that's what p- puts people off because they think, well, I have to put on the, the show dance but you don't. But you really don't. No. Please don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> no one likes that. But that's the thing, though. That's old school marketing. Yeah. That's when you've spent a year developing something that no one knows about, and then you, you're supposed to magically go out into the world and go, look at this thing, everyone. Come and look at this. It's brilliant. Whereas, actually, if you spent a year creating something and showing everyone what you're doing and talking about your stuff and your life and a few behind-the-scenes shots as well as a slightly self-deprecating selfie, which we all enjoy... <laughs> And then invite people to do the thing you're doing if they fancy it, if it's like a good fit for them. And if it's not, hey, no worries, but this is what I'm doing and this might be of interest. Great. That's the sort of marketing I do. And that's the sort of marketing I respond to best. So, you, I mean, obviously you want to vaguely know what you're doing and, and stick to your deadlines and, and deliver what you promise. But if you feel like you've got to do it in a way that you're pretending, that's where I have a problem with marketing. It always feels like a big pretense. Mm. and you know don't tell everyone the truth but what are you hiding really we don't have to be like nike or sainsbury's or i can't even think of any big name brands (laughs) can you tell that's that's as far as i got (laughs) but we but we really don't we don't have to be mr kellogg with his magical cornflakes you know we're we're actual real human beings and i can absolutely guarantee the reason my little business is still going is because people i think Oh, God, it sounds awful to say it. I think people like me, mm. you know, like mm. that. I think it's as simple as that because they, I can, I know from the emails I get from, from my audience that people, they, they like, they like the way I share, they appreciate that. They like seeing pictures of my cat. You know, they're a bit invested in what I'm doing. A lot of people have been there since the very beginning, which is amazing to me. 
you know, I've made friends through blogging and my courses. You know, it's not just people I sell to. No, no, no. These are these are people I know. And I recognize names when they sign up for all my courses. When I did my book tour, I got to meet loads of people in my audience. And it was just the most amazing thing ever. So it's not about me being this separate entity and everyone else is over there. It's like, no, no, we're all on the same bus. Mm. But I'll, I'll make stuff that hopefully they'll enjoy doing because – all right, I just got it. I'm basically like a big sister. And that is how I operate online. That's mm-hmm. always been my way of doing things. And again, unintentionally, but when I think about it, and this has occurred to me before, but it's just landed in my head even more clearly. I'm like your big sister. Mm-hmm. That's how that's how I write. That's how I talk. That's how I am in, with my actual little sister. Mm-hmm. And that's how I am with everyone who who's, you know, following along with the stuff that I'm doing. So yeah, big sister. And that's all it is. It's who do you who do you want to be to people and who are those people and what do they need from you? Yeah. One of the loveliest ways to be online is just be friendly. Mm. You know, be kind and be friendly and be generous. And yeah, are you someone's aunt? Are you like a mother? Are you a confidant? Are you a sister? You know, well obviously a brother, a dad, you know. But it's it's that friendliness, that familiarity, people really respond to that. That's a way to sell stuff, is to be someone's friend. Not be not some expert with a capital E. Oh, so very tired of that. Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of people. Are. I think it's yeah. A lot of people worry about not being an expert, whereas actually, I always think online it's so much more democratic. You don't have to have the right letters after your name or pieces of paper because if you're blogging or you're podcasting or you're creating content anywhere, you're showing up every day, proving what you can do in the way that's uniquely you, and that's what's always more more appealing to people and I know I when I look for support I'm kind of like I don't want to find somebody who's got all the qualifications but it's not on my wavelength I'd rather work with somebody who gets my head and how I think and can can connect with me on a more human level absolutely well that's why the best coaches are the ones that ask really good questions they're not and they're not agony aunts they're there to help you access the answers you already have inside you so this whole expert thing yeah do you know what I want an expert if they're going to operate on my brain yeah Yeah. that is the one time I really want someone to be an expert in what they're doing but if it's something like well anything that I teach journaling meditation you know oracle cards or mindfulness all of this stuff there are probably way more in quotes qualified people out there but I'm I'm teaching it because I've gathered the information. I'm mining it from my own experiences in my life, and I'm putting it together in a way that I hope that you can use and digest and go, oh yeah, nice one. So I think teaching, because that's what I'm doing here, is bringing together the information and then sort of cobbling it together in a way that someone else can use. That's 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 the magic, mm. and it's like the coach asking the questions I mean god we're teaching journaling it's all about questions and I can teach you techniques and and help you ask the questions yourself and inspire you a lot of this is about inspiring and I'm an inspirer which is one of my favorite parts of my job actually I just want to get people excited about this stuff so yeah so being an expert what a masculine term that is Mm. god how very dull right I could talk to you like for the rest of the day but (laughs) we're at risk of this becoming the longest episode ever so I must ask you two more questions one is the one that we ask everybody on the podcast which is how do you grow a soul in your work and life yeah I had a little think about that 
actually I wrote something down for you, Kate, because I'm an expert and I do things well. How do I grow with soul in my business and my life? I trust that all the answers and the guidance that I need is already inside me. So after everything we've just talked about and, and finding your way and all of that stuff, when it really comes down to it, everything that I'm doing and have done when I look back on it is because I went inside for guidance and for the answers. So this comes back to journaling, actually. If we're going to talk about it really practically, I write stuff down and I talk to myself in my journal and I've done that for so long. It's my automatic process and thing to do is to use words get it out of my head, write it down and access what I'm really thinking because I really truly believe that all the answers are inside us. Like I really truly believe that and nobody knows what I need better than I do. You know, I'm the person who knows me best. So brain surgery, I'm going to go to a brain surgeon and get his opinion, but everything else, I really think I've got the answers and I'll figure it out. Good lovely lesson and a good sum up I think of the rest of the episode too so for people who are really inspired by your inspirerness, where can they come and connect with you and find out more about you well everything is on the website which is susannaconway.com like I said I'm not really blogging anymore but all my blogging energy and sharing energy goes out in fortnightly newsletters that I call love letters where talk about what's going on so yeah so they go out every two weeks and I also share thoughts and obviously lots of pictures on Instagram Susanna Conway on Instagram so those are my two places my newsletters and my Instagram that's where I am great well thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your expert knowledge and your intuitive knowledge as well (laughs) are you taking the mickey there i am yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's been an absolute pleasure thank you again i loved it thank you i hope that wherever you are in your business journey that there was light inspiration and hope for you in that conversation like there was for me Any links that we mentioned will be on my website at simpleandseason.com forward slash podcast. And you can find me and Susanna on Instagram. I'm at simpleandseason and she's at Susanna Conway. As always, if you have a friend who you think needs to hear this conversation, perhaps this one more so than some of the others, please do send them the link to the episode and, and share it online. And until next time, I hope you grow a song.